0: I'm your host, Mia Schachter. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm a bit gender nebulous, a term that I made up and you can use if you like it. I'm an intimacy coordinator for TV and film, a boundary guide for individuals and couples, and a consent educator. My interest in this work is mostly in consent, gender, and power dynamics. I offer Zoom classes live and for download through my website, and private consent lessons and boundary sessions, too. Okay, here we go. Today I'm talking to Dr. Jonathan P. Higgins at Dr. John Paul, who is a professor, national speaker, freelance journalist, thought leader, and media critic who examines the intersections of identity, gender, and race in entertainment. Dr. John, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, how are you?
0: I'm doing really well. I have a cat on my lap. Can't complain. Um, <laughs> thanks for being Love here. Love the baby. Yeah.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited.
0: Yeah. Um, I know we've like wanted to do this for a while and it's like t- the day is finally here.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely that.
0: Yeah. Um. I feel like it's worth mentioning for anyone listening how we met. I, I'd love to hear how how you were introduced to Centaurico and me, and how we met from you.
1: Yeah. So shout out to the amazing Jiminika Eborn <laughs> um, for all of the great great things that they do. Me and Jim, so kind of related but not related me and Jim have been friends for like oh goodness gracious maybe I would say 2003 2004 we met um in college and we've been friends ever since and then um fast forward 10 years later and they are doing all of this you know I hate using the word influencer but they're doing a <laughs> lot of work in different influential spaces yeah, um yeah. In- Oh, yeah, I want to say it that way. They're not an influencer. They're doing influential work in influential spaces. I love that. And, um, <laughs> and so um, they ultimately said, hey, you know, I work with this organization. You know, we know that all of the stuff last year happened with George Floyd. Um, a lot of conversations needing to happen around race and, you know, and, and, and gender and perspectives on, you know, oppression, et cetera, et cetera could you come and talk with the folks that I work with, you know, doing, you know, the work that we do in relation to being um, intimacy coordinators? And I said, sure, not a problem. We linked up, um, had a couple of sessions. We talked before the training, we did the training and then we connected after the training. And it's just been great, not only to one, see Jim continue to do amazing things, but ultimately to see you, me and your org do great things as well. So that's ultimately how everything kind of you know, linked up great people know great people, and you're one of the great people <laughs> that my great people knew. So um I'm happy to be here.
0: Oh thank you. Mm-hmm. That's really wonderful to hear. Jim, what the way that it happened on our end was that we were like, you know, we 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 knew we needed to talk about CentauriCo is run by me, Yehuda Dueñas and Jiminika Eborn. Um Yehuda and I are the only intimacy coordinators. Jimonika is a trauma specialist. Um, the trauma queen, and she does a whole bunch of other things, um, but we really, we knew we needed to talk about race. Centauri Co. was built to um, to make sure that there were intimacy coordinators who were at the time underrepresented in the field, and we all kind of had this meeting, and we were like, do I, you know, do I know anybody who could do this? Does Yehuda know anybody who could do this? And Jim was like, I know somebody who can do this, <laughs> and it was you, <laughs> Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we ended up having a really beautiful um, class. Uh, And it was great. Yeah, it was really, it was amazing. It was amazing for for me and I know Yehuda too, to like be a fly on the wall for that conversation. And especially with your background specifically in entertainment, um, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, it just became a conversation that was like so incredibly necessary. And I don't know where else that conversation would have happened.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so let me ask you, um, how uh, short version, short version or long version, how you ended up, um, (laughs) with this like hodgepodge career that you have. And I say that with admiration and also like, I also have a hodgepodge Mm -hmm. of a career. So, um, I'm curious how you got to this point. Yeah, it's funny because
1: this is the this is maybe the third or fourth conversation I've had, hey, alone, where people have been like, How did you get here? And I'm like, Girl, I don't know. it's um, <laughs> like so you just chat, I just you know, it, we, we, I guess, you know, the the universe said, we gonna use you. Oh, really? Um, I think a big part of it really did start with this idea of growing up in a world where I didn't see myself, Mm -hmm. Um, not necessarily feeling like my voice was heard and feeling like I didn't really have anyone championing me. I ultimately started looking for ways to do that for other people. I said, if no one's going to champion me, then I might as well champion myself. Mm -hmm. And in the process of doing that, I think people started like paying attention to what I had to say and ultimately saying, oh my God, you know, if Dr. John Paul feels this way, then that means I, and I feel this way, then that means this has got to be other people who feel this way. And I think it's just now this collective um, mindset of people, you know, whether it be in academia, whether it be in entertainment, whether it be um, company-wide, organizational, like there are just so many people in the world. It's funny because I, I I used to get on LinkedIn, I'll say this and then I'll kind of wrap it up, but I used to get on LinkedIn and I would like look at all of the stories and all of the stuff people were sharing. And it was all about business and, you know, what's going on in their minds and their lives. And I've been picking apart in a very comedic way, the ways that we oppress people in um, the work perspective, if that makes sense, whether it be an entertainment or not. And I I make a joke out of it, not to be joking, but to to just get people to understand how silly a lot of this stuff is that we say in a lot silly the stuff we do is and how problematic it is when you really look at it from a, a comedic standpoint. Because for me, my thing is, is that I sometimes have to laugh to keep from crying. And so my thing is that if I constantly kept, you know, screaming about the bad in the world, I would always be in out in a corner, like ready to ball up and, you know, pass away in a lot of senses. So I think for me, the way that I've been able to cope is to look at the ways these systems, you know, are are terrible and make a joke out of them. And so across the platform, that's what I'm kind of known for now is people saying you have a very funny comedic way of looking at really jacked up things um, and being able to get us to talk about them in a way that doesn't feel like you're ultimately I don't do it in a way where I feel like I'm blaming anyone. I'm 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 challenging people to step back and think about the ways that they are either complicit or or are not taking action, and 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 that's ultimately what I do now. I just I'm I'm challenging people to step up to the plate if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I it, hearing you say that makes me feel like um, it's just sort of adding to like the reasons why I feel like why we resonate like with each other, I've, I've also gotten that feedback mm-hmm. that like, there's something about how I approach, approach these really like challenging topics that has a sense of humor and like, thank goodness. Right. Because otherwise, as you said, like right. I, I could hide in my closet at, with my cats and my new dog and just like never leave out of despair. Mm-hmm. Um, right. but there's also, there is something, I mean, I, do you find yourself drawn to like dark humor um I have a very dark sense of humor sometimes
1: because oh child sometimes we can get real dark and people be like that's not funny and I'm like it's funny to me (laughs) (laughs) and I don't say that look at the like I'm laughing at the expense of other people but I'm thinking to myself like there have been moments where I have cracked jokes in in spaces where people are like, oh, and I'll be like, I'm sorry. Like, I have to laugh at that because if I don't, I'm going to cry, you know? And so it's just it's one of those things yes, like dark humor, dark, I wouldn't say I'm like dark, gruesome humor funny, but I definitely find like, so for instance, me and my random tangent, but it makes, it makes a lot of sense, like. Me and my husband ran it that, Barb, and I forget what her name is, like Barb and Mars goes to like this to something. It's the new movie with a Kristen Wiig. Uh-huh. Um And the humor is my humor. It's just very, a lot of it is very much these two women who have had really traumatic experiences have been able to find funny in their traumatic experiences. That's how I move throughout my life, where I've been able to really look at some really jacked up things that have happened to me and find humor in them to help other people heal and their own lived experiences through humor. So that's how I yeah. like to frame it.
0: It's it's making the way that you're describing it. Mm-hmm. I'm like making this link for the first time that you know how like in in sexuality, it's often talked about how there's like a really fine line between mm-hmm. pain and pleasure, and like sometimes they're the same. And I think it must be the same kind Mm -hmm. of emotionally where like, there's, you know, the, the laughing and crying, like laughing and crying are really close to each other. And sometimes you're doing both. And I think Mm -hmm. where my, my sense of humor feels the most pronounced and the most me is like in those moments where I'm like, that is so sad. It's hilarious. (laughs) That's so me. I'm like, oh my God, that is so terrible. Yeah. But it's
1: so funny. And and I think that's also, I think it's a talent. I think it's a talent, I think, to be resilient enough to be able to look at something that's really, really awful and to be able to find humor in it in a way that makes other people laugh or feel seen or find joy. Like, you know, i I crack a lot of jokes about my father not being in my life. Um, where some people are probably working that out through therapy for me, it's, it's funny. Like there are a lot of things that I say, you know, and, and people are like, Oh my God, I can't believe you said that, you know, that that's really sad. And I'm like, you know, I've I've healed from it. And I think that that's where I think some of the comedy comes from. I, I think Robin Williams mm-hmm. is a great example of someone who was able to laugh through a lot of their pain, mm-hmm. rest in peace. You know, I do know that they passed away ultimately to their own demise. But I think when you look at Robin, when you yeah. look at a lot of comedians um, and the ways that they frame their lives, they are able to really take a lot of their dark, sad moments and make them enjoyable for other people to be able to laugh through their own pain as well. So I think that's what I do
0: yeah that comes through that comes through and it's it's to it's almost a question of sustainability right like because how can we keep doing really challenging work around justice and oppression and all these other things and you know for for me it's also like um wrapped up in illness and ability and i you know i don't know Uh I don't want to speak for you around that. But so it's it's all it's a it's only sustainable if it can also have light right. moments. Without those light moments, mm-hmm. it's you just want it to end as as quickly as you can. It's it's making right. me think of like when I was really in the like throes of of my illness and um and really struggling with like my mental health and suicidal ideation and all that stuff like the my the thing that would save me often was just poop jokes (laughs) because I was dealing Mm. with like actual poop issues and I could just laugh about you know Mm -hmm. I don't know that was like sort of how I coped for a while
1: yeah yeah and and, you know and that's the thing I think that makes so many people, I think specifically creative, so creative um, and and such good people, I think is when you can really look and separate yourself. Like when, you, when you're not able to really like, when you don't feel like that trauma or whatever you're going through in your life no longer kind of has a hold on you. That is where I think the best, not necessarily even comedy, because I don't want to mm-hmm. consider myself a comedian, but I definitely think like I've been in spaces where people are like, John, you are just so damn funny. And I'm like, I've I've done my whole life. All I've ever yeah. done is cry, you know, like in a lot of ways, whether it be like literal tears or being in peril, or like you said, dealing yeah. with suicidal ideations. And so I think I'm finally at a place now in my life where like, I keep thinking if I continue to keep crying about everything or being sad about everything or being hurt about everything, I'm not going to ever be able to enjoy life. So I have to figure out a way to laugh. And I think the biggest part is like, I'm not laughing at someone, I'm mm-hmm. laughing at something. And most of the time, the things that I'm laughing at is how stupid white supremacy <laughs> is. Like, or or how stupid sexism is. Like when you start to break it down, to like the, when you really start to get down to like the the foundation of each of these different oppressions, they're all so right. foolish, you know? And I think that's the thing I really help people get to with a lot of my work. It's I'm able to really help people see how so much of what we we worry about and how much we stress over is a joke. And when I say that, I don't mean that in the sense of like, ha, 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 sexism is funny. No, it's not. It's terrible. But what I'm talking about is how stupid sexism is when we start looking at it from the prospects of all of these standards men live up, want to keep themselves up to. A lot of it is foolish. And I said, a lot of it is really stupid, specifically the different standards that, you know, cis men set themselves up to right oh I can't cry I can't have any emotion I have to be a man and I've written about this like what does it really mean to be a man and a lot of times a lot of it is rooted in not having any joy that's what a lot of what I find in society manliness quote-unquote is connected to is a lot of them have no joy there's there's you can't you Asking, well, what brings you joy or oh, shooting someone, doing this and it's like, so causing someone else pain, like what outside of the pain that you're hiding and you're masking or that you're causing or putting on other people, what wow. is joy, right? And I think that that's the thing I've been able to do for me when I'm laughing or when I when I crack a joke or when I'm laughing through a lot of the pain that I'm bringing that's joy for me like I for me a lot of the 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 most joy that I found is being in spaces with other queer Black people and being able to laugh about the stuff that we've both gone through as Black queer people and really being able to laugh at how we've overcome it like that for me is like what joy looks like so I think about that stuff a lot right like you know when we really get down to the crux of like what is giving any of us joy um I, I i don't know if we really if we spend enough time thinking about that and that's kind of where i think a lot of my comedic humor comes from
0: wow that's that link that you've made is is blowing my mind that not wanting to cry is related to not being mm-hmm. able to experience joy is there something that you think is yeah. um vulnerable about joy?
1: Well, I mean, when we look at joy from I think so, like, yeah, let's talk through it, right? Let's talk through it from like a right. media standpoint, because obviously my degree is in communications. I'm gonna always be very critical of media because I have a, a bachelor's mm-hmm. degree in media studies. Um so like I think when we look at the the scope, like we don't ever I, I don't, I, I'll say for me, and, and I, I, I would challenge listeners because I'm sure listeners would probably say, Dr. Higgins is wrong. Okay. And I might be, I cannot think of a film that I have seen in the last five to 10 years where you've genuinely seen a cis straight man happy.
0: Whoa.
1: There's always a crux of him either needing to get revenge him being angry, him needing to inflict pain on someone else, um, even down to Fight Club, right? Like if we really were, was to look at the themes throughout Fight Club, mm-hmm. very popular film in a lot of men's circles, yeah, a lot of men. Yeah. My favorite film is Fight Club. What was going on with this man? This man was literally falling apart in his own mind, right? And a lot of people have said, oh, that film is you know about mental health yeah it could potentially be about mental health if that's what you come up with but what drove him to have those mental health issues right he didn't have any friends he hated the job that he was at he he couldn't find anyone to connect with on a on a, both a sexual and an intimacy level we we create this moniker for cis men specifically cis straight men that joy is rooted on the pain and the the what's the word I'm looking for? I wanna say pain, even pressure. I think pressure is the first word that comes to my my lexicon of of, of interjecting that onto someone else, right? Joy is not rooted in, I have a very strong relationship. Like, so for instance, for me, right? As a queer black man who has done my Mm -hmm. work with a therapist, joy for me is when I'm laying on the couch with my husband and we're laughing as Mm -hmm. we're watching TV. Joy for me is when I'm being vulnerable to my husband and I'm saying I'm tired of X, Y, and Z and I just want to be heard. And my husband goes, no, babe, I hear you. Like that's joy for me. Joy for me is when I'm on the phone with Jim and Nika and we're mm-hmm. cracking jokes back and forth about shows that we share interest in. Mm. Men don't get that. Yeah. He, I said societally, I think we've created this crux that Men have to, men, the only way for men to find joy is when they're inflicting pain onto Ugh. someone else. That for me is the, what I take at it from the perspective of looking at system. And again, that may not be everyone else's right. truth, but let's think about it. What is rape culture? Yeah. What is sexism? Right. What is toxic masculinity? You are inflicting harm on someone else in order for you to feel better about who you are so what
0: i'm what i'm hearing is is that it it it's portrayed as though um or what you're saying is that joy for cis men is portrayed as um it it's still within a hierarchy it's about being at the top of the hierarchy Mm -hmm. so you still have to be on top of somebody which means that you're probably pushing someone else down Right, Literally right. and
1: physically, right? Because you think about, again, rape culture, same concept. And so I, I I, think for me, when you talk about men not being able to experience joy, I, I often wonder, like, I have straight friends who say, I don't have a lot of friends. Mm. Why is that? Right? I don't, I don't, you know, I only have one or two good male friends, you know? my wife is my friend. Okay. But your wife is also right. your therapist and also uh, your mother in a lot of ways. Like, Like again, I'm not trying to paint cis men as terrible because I don't think that's what my MO is ever. But what I'm saying is, is that I think we really have to think about the ways that we are allowing ourselves to find happiness and fun and joy in a way that is not oppressive to other people. And I think that systems in this world has not allotted people that even down, I would even say even down to, you know, the relationships that women have, you know, this idea of being catty and mean to one another as fun. Like, why is that the only sense of joy that we have to have I know it may sound like I'm throwing out a whole bunch of generalizations but I just for me this is me stepping back and looking at the world and saying why are there so many miserable people in this world and it's because a lot of us have not been given the freedom to to think about joy I think my my, my therapist talks about this concept mm. of radical joy a lot um and what does, what does it mean to find radical joy and really thinking about unlearning syst- the way to do that is unlearning systems that have not served you or benefited you in relation to your happiness. That's what radical wow. joy is.
0: Okay. Yeah. Like uprooting systems that have blocked you from mm-hmm. accessing your joy.
1: And for me, that was toxic masculinity. That for me, it was mm-hmm. homo negativity. For me, that was heteronormativity. Like all of these concepts were things that blocked mm. my joy. And so unlearning said systems is what has allotted me to find humor and joy in a lot of ways that I don't think I'd be able to have if I didn't understand how these systems worked or how these systems yeah. moved. So. Mm-hmm
0: you know, when you were describing that, you think that, you know, this, this idea of like, that men aren't supposed to cry, um, as like this sort of pinnacle of masculinity, it's, you know, it's a thing that is often referenced, right? Um, I think you and I, and probably most of the people listening to this, like, agree that that's absurd and that crying is important and, and all that stuff. Um, what I, what it made me think of as you were describing it was that, when you deprive yourself of the expression of these lows, well, first of all, when you deprive yourself of the expression of lows, you actually, I believe, deprive yourself of experiencing those lows. Um, that's the, um, there's right. like a feedback loop in, in neuroscience. I believe it's actually called the Schachter-Singer feedback mm. loop, which is really funny because it's exactly my last name. Um, where like the behavior the, the feeling causes a behavior, which contributes to the feeling, which contributes to the behavior. And it becomes this feedback loop that you experience. So when you prevent yourself from expressing sadness or despair or loss or grief, um, or shame, or, you know, all these things, uh, you actually experience them less. And my, my guess and i'd be curious if this is like part of the link that you're making is that when you deprive yourself of the lows you also miss out on the highs there's something that i think um that you're pointing out for me that i had never really tied together but that you yes you don't you don't see men or people who are performing masculinity in some way cry they don't we don't you know society doesn't allow them to express sadness um but we also don't see expressions of joy we don't see expressions of like elation and like you know celebrating your celebrating yourself or um even even like um words of like love and affection seem to be so foreign and hard to to express um and i i what I'm hearing is that you see those as going hand in hand.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, even thinking about it, like, so I watched the film um, Palmer. That's it. I watched the film Palmer recently on Apple TV plus. And um, if you've not seen it, or if you're not familiar with it, it has Justin Timberlake in it, who is canceled in my book. Um, However, um, <laughs> it was a good film. You know, a friend of mine said, I really think you should see it. It's about a man who finds a relationship with a child who we assume, and again, I say assuming, is mm-hmm. is trans, right? Um, they are very effeminate. They like feminine things. They carry themselves in a very effeminate way. It um, was the unlikely relationship between this very cishet man, Played by JT and this young child who is showing very effeminate characteristics. And I say all of that to say that what that film really showed me was like, I think about the times. I think often a lot about, especially even me. And like I said, it's so funny because today's today's been weird. I don't know if it's the energy. I don't know if it's just, if it's the, the space that I'm in, but all of the conversations I've had today outside of like adult conversations I've had uh-huh. around bills and life and stuff, they've all aligned in this weird way. This morning I told my therapist, I said, you know, I know when I lost my spark for creativity or being able to be myself in the way I've wanted to, but I have I felt like I've lost it. And I say this as like a kid, like being a 12, 13 year old kid, I felt like my spark as a little quote unquote boy was put out. And I don't know when that light or that spark went out, but I think about it a lot. You know, my nephew is two and I watch him play and I watch how creative he is. And I, I watch how much he my brother pours into him to allow him to be his authentic self um, and watching the gender terminologies mm. and the colors. If he likes pink, he gets pink. If he likes blue, he wants blue. If he wants yellow, he gets to wear yellow. Like my, my, my brother and his wife are very intentional on, I I want my son to be able to have the life that mm. we weren't allowed to have. Um, and I think about that a lot, like Grayson is learning what joy is like Grayson gets to be who he wants to be in a way that I didn't get as a little black kid growing up in SoCal um and so I think about that a lot like what is joy for me (laughs) now as a 35 year old man um it's watching my nephew get to be his true authentic self in whatever fashion that shows up um my husband said if my nephew wants to play with dolls he gets dolls if he wants to play with you know, a truck, he gets to play with a truck. Some days he wants to throw a football. Some days he wants to be in the kitchen with my sister. Like Grayson can do whatever he wants. And I think that's the thing I I, I wish, you know, when we talk about joy, like seeing Grayson smile and knowing that that's not being hindered in a way that for me makes me feel so much better about the world. And I think that for me is what I'm hoping for other people like they give their children the opportunity to just be happy. In ways that I don't think that a lot of my generation got. If that,
0: that makes, makes so much sense. Something came up in in the six week boundaries and consent mm-hmm. course that I just taught that I keep going back to, and it was this conversation around um, cho- choosing, have like the the, f- the f- learned feeling that um, and it was it was brought up in the context specifically by. Three three people in the class whose parents are immigrants. Um, this conversation that kind of keeps coming up for me around how authenticity is healing, like it's literal medicine for your body, like not in mm. a um, not as a metaphor, but as a literal like healing agent. Um, and then this 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 oh, question. Yeah where, you know, from like previous generations around this false idea that we have to choose between security and authenticity. And the way mm. that I've been thinking about that in like in my family in particular, you know, I'm I'm Jewish, Eastern European Jewish, like everyone was from like Poland, Russia, Hungary in my family. And my, both my grandfathers fought in World War II. One of my grandfathers actually liberated a concentration camp on the ground in Germany um, mm-hmm. and then came home uh, and like went to work at a pharmaceutical company. You know, and it, it had it's only recently <laughs> yeah. dawning on yeah. me how repressive that is. It could have been any job, right? Like he could have yeah. been doing any number of things. The idea that I'm like what I'm looking at is the way that he was unable to express any authenticity at all. Like what kind of life is that? You know, who, who is my grandpa? Like, I don't really know. And he died a few years ago. Um, I don't have a good sense of who he is. And I would venture to guess that he might not Mm. either you know? So I've been, what you're talking about is like watching your nephew become their authentic self and finding that for yourself too. Um, You know, that what what you're like witnessing Mm -hmm. and what's bringing you joy is like the negation of that idea that it's a choice you have to make, that it's an either or situation. That's also what your career is. It's it's a Mm -hmm. manifestation of that.
1: Yeah. And in a lot of ways, I'm still, you know, like you said, when you said hodgepodge, I laughed because, you know, there's still a lot about my career that I don't know and that I don't understand and that I'm still struggling, struggling to find that. And I, I, I like I said, I was talking to my th- Pissed this morning about you know finding that quote unquote dream job I don't know what my dream job is you know I don't even know if what I'm doing right now is quote yeah. unquote the dream you know we, we're all kind of lost in a way but when you talk about this sense of like authenticity healing I think the stuff that you know and it's funny because I've had people come to me and say you just have this light about you and you just have this way of of, of moving throughout a space that just makes people feel so validated and I said. I'm starting to understand and know that light as being my mm-hmm. authentic self. You know, it's me not putting on this performance for people. Because I because this is the thing, Mia. You know, I, t- I I wake up every morning going, I already know mm-hmm. that the world hates me. And I know I hate, I've I've said it this way and I've had people go, oh my God, that is such a terrible thing to say. And I go, but it's the truth. I am everything that the world has tried to eradicate. Okay. I am fat, the world hates fat people. I am black, the world hates black people. I am queer, the world hates queer people. I'm also in a lot of ways, even though I'm middle-class now, but I grew up poor and the world hates poor people. So like, I literally wake up every day in subtle ways being reminded that this world does not care about me at all. And so to try, how much am I selling myself short by putting on a performance for said world and knowing that they're still mm. going to hate me anyway? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And that's so, I think that's what people see. Like I genuinely move throughout the world going as much as I, I, I and I'm not going to front. I do care what the world thinks about me because obviously I wouldn't work as hard as I do yeah. if I didn't. Right. Everyone wants to have their name in lights. Everyone, like, I mean, that's why I have a blue check on Twitter. I want the world to know my work, okay? (laughs) But I think there's the sense of as much as I work for the world to know my work and to respect my work, there's still this element of, I don't know y'all don't care for me anyway, so I'm going to say it the way I need to say it. And if you don't like it, oh, well. And I think that's what I think is resonating with so many people is that I'm, I'm recognizing more and more that the more I do my work, the people who respect me and respect my candor in the way I do my work are the people I need to be working with slash working for. I don't care about the exec that says Jonathan is a problem because obviously I'm never gonna be in that room with that exec anyway. I need to be in the room with the exec that's saying, we like the fact that you're out here lighting stuff on fire and flipping tables because that's what we need mm-hmm. in this company. And so I, I I think for me, it's it's about liberation, right? It's about knowing, I say this all the time too. I go, I think about this a lot daily, you know, MLK tried to be kind to police and they mm-hmm. killed him. <laughs> Like, I mean, I wish I could see people see me right now going like, I'm in, I'm living in between that of like, I'm still going to die regardless of, and I don't say that in a literal sense. I'm <laughs> praying I live a little bit longer. But what I'm saying is, even if I stroke the back of the police officer or I stroke the back of the systems that oppress me, they are still working right. to eradicate me. So I have to do my work from my place of truth. And that's where all of my work starts what is my truth and how do I make sure that 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 shines and I think that was my long way of saying that right like I think we need to be more cognitive of what our truths are and that's what authenticity that's where authenticity starts do I like brussels sprouts no then why the hell do you keep Mm. eating them do you like broccoli no well why do you keep eating it so if you are queer, why do you keep saying you're not queer? That's a part of who you are and who you were meant to be in your your own way. And we oh, well, religion is a religion that I go, you know what? Until I meet Jesus, I don't really, I don't really care what Jesus got to say. No shade. But I never met the brother. So how am I going to sit here and live a life being so concerned about somebody that I ain't met? I don't know him. it's just it's it's silly to me so i i think that for me is true like if someone else is mad i always this is my my thing and then i'll shut up my thing is pay a bill and then i Mm. care because i i have (laughs) i don't have the time to i'm too busy out here trying to keep my lights on so
0: yeah Well, okay. So one of the things that you said that I want to dig into a little bit here is you're talking about knowing what's true for you first and foremost. And I think that that is something that is not promoted largely because it thwarts, you know, if too many people knew who they were and what was important to them, um, you know, all the tables would be flipped over and maybe we wouldn't have people mm-hmm. doing work that we, like, also really need done. I don't know. Um, But what what is so clear to me from the outside is that you do have this, like, core of this is what I believe, this is who I am. And what I, and I, I, I hope that you feel the same way about me. I'm gonna talk, assuming that you do, okay. Oh yeah. Um, what has <laughs> <laughs> yes? What has what ha, what I've seen happen for me? I'm I'm really resonating with what you're saying. That like, what people are describing as your light is you being your authentic self, which translates as kind of giving no fucks.
1: It <laughs> sometimes you have to give a few. Yes. But I think we give too many.
0: Yes. Oh. So i i agree mm-hmm. i think and i appreciate what you said like yes you do care what people think of course of course we care what people think um if i didn't care what people think i don't know i would walk around in like a a tube that i could just f- float free you know like obviously i have to shower whatever
1: i'd eat yeah, at chick-fil-a right, right right yeah i would i would eat at chick-fil-a yeah, if I
0: did. yeah. so <laughs> so great i'm glad we're on the same page there um But this, this idea of like having your authentic truth is, you know, we do so much like trying to predict how people are going to respond to us, how people are going to perceive us, what they're going to think of us. Are they going to think we're cool? Are they going to think we're stupid? Are they going to want to hire us? And And what I tell a lot of my clients and what I end up working through a lot in these classes that I teach, and of course, this is like a lifelong journey for myself, um, is that the only thing that I can know for certain is how I feel and what I believe. So what that means is that that, like using that rod, like that internal pillar of like, this is what I believe, this is who I am. um, It's like a thesis of an essay, right? Like every sentence that you write, every paragraph that you write has to like tie back to that thesis or the essay makes no real sense and loses its train of thought and stuff. So if you personally, if I personally have this thesis, then anytime I'm in a moment of like, I don't know what to do where people, some people like reach for a pendulum. Some people ask a psychic, some people ask God, some people pray. For me, it's that rod internally where I can that I can check with, and maybe sometimes I do use a pendulum or prayer or whatever. Um, but it's all mm-hmm. coming back to that that solid piece of myself um, because that's all I can know for sure. I cannot know for sure how other people are going to perceive me, and doing mm-hmm. the guesswork to try to anticipate that is fucking exhausting. Amen
1: amen um and i'm so glad that you cursed because i'm a sailor <laughs> so i was worried i was like i hope this is not one of those podcasts where i have to oh, watch. oh no my these language. are so, all rated you. explicit
0: it's like embedded okay so, <laughs> yay, yay, yay. <laughs> um <laughs> just kidding my patreon is now a community site for diy self-paced learning i share assignments journal prompts media examples of consent and boundaries discount codes my own writing on boundaries and consent the medical industry and other things that i'm thinking about all the time i share papers articles lectures and more and you also get access to the patreon only discord channel patreon is a great way to support the show but there are other ways that don't cost money you can rate subscribe and write a review wherever you listen and share the show with your friends all of that is deeply appreciated I'm currently taking private clients. You can find out more about that in the Work With Me tab on my website, ShareTheLoadInc.com, and schedule a call to see if we're a good fit. Um, no, no, I I love that you say that because I
1: think so. You know, a big part of my story is rooted in religion, and I think that's why I'm so I wouldn't say I'm anti-religion, but I'm definitely very cognitive and very cautious of um. What I like to call groupthink, and I feel like groupthink is very much what religion mm. is, right? Is that if Mia believes something and Nicole believes something and you know Judea think believes something, then I have to believe it too in order for them to oh, like wow. me. Um and I I back from that specifically being in a religion, I was I grew up a Jehovah's Witness. I talk about it on my TEDx about what it was like leaving that org, but more recently I've, I've been writing a lot about it too. So you can find some of my articles about that, but I say all of that to say that what has really helped free me in a lot of ways. And I mean, free in both the emotional and, um, I would say this idea of recognizing that at the end of the day, like I can only answer for me and I think it, it was getting to a place in my life where I was, it was getting so hard for me to say, what are you gonna feel like when you get to that last day that you're here on this earth? If How are you gonna feel if you can't say you lived your life the way you wanted to live it? and that me is what made me say I got to get out of here because I think so many of us are so caught up with well what if my mom doesn't like it or what if my dad doesn't like it I don't want to lose my family baby that's what mm-hmm. chosen family is for um you know oh what is my husband going to say about it what is my cousin or my uncles or my aunties or and you you spend 10 15 years thinking that and then one day they stop talking to you and you're like Man, I wasted all that goddamn time worrying about them. And now they don't even care about me, you know? And so I, I I'm not saying that, you know, I, I think there's this, and I've said this and I'm still trying to work through what it truly means because it, I don't know if it sounds silly. I don't know if it's a real thing, but I said I think there's a, there's a fine line between being selfless and being mm-hmm. selfish. And I think that, for me in this time in my life, and my husband also, I think, understands this in a lot of ways, both of our lives, we've been so selfless, meaning we've put so many other people in front of us, and we've put many other people's opinions and thoughts and ideas as truth and RT, right? Um, and then we were left with nothing on the other side of that. And so now I think both of us are in this place where we say we are a little bit selfish because we can be. We've done the work to be selfish. We deserve the right to say, I am going to take up the space in this room and I'm not going to apologize for it. You know, who does Dr. Higgins think he is coming into this or who who does Dr. Higgins think they are coming into this space and thinking they're the smartest person in the room? I have three degrees. So if you want to take it up with the University of Redlands and the Board of Education, you can, but- my thing is, I've done the work to feel like I'm the smartest person in the room. Um, I've overcome all of the barriers that education has put in front of me for me to feel like I'm the smartest person right. in the room. So I've done the work. So I think about that a lot. Like, what work are we doing to ultimately validate ourselves? And I think I'm in this place where I'm, I've done some of the work and I'm continuing to do the work. And I'm begging other people to do their work around that as well.
0: Yeah. oof, Well said. Um, did you catch yourself misgendering yourself? <laughs>
1: I did. Yeah. I'm so used to slipping into the hymn and I'm really trying to get away from it. Um, and so that's why I was like, caught it. And I said, they, cause I'm even, I, even I misgender myself often. And I'm like, I don't. I do you, it too. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I gotta catch myself. Oh my yeah. So, so yeah, funny. I caught myself. I love so, that.
0: Yeah. I, I do it to myself too. And I'm mm-hmm. like, who are you talking about Mia? <laughs> but it's, you know, it, it happens. It's cute. It's sweet to do it to yourself and be like, Oops. yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I have a BA in philosophy, which at the time was like, Mm -hmm. why are you doing that? And now it's 12 years later. I'm like, whoa, thank goodness. Like 19 year old Mia knew what the fuck was up. Um, even Mm -hmm, though mm -hmm. at the time I was even like judging myself for it. So there was this, there was this, um, I took a moral philosophy class and there was this paper that we read about the word selfish and it basically said, I mean, I'm going to like paraphrase it poorly, but it's a question of like, what is altruism? The question is like, does altruism exist? Because even when Mm -hmm. you do a quote unquote selfless act, you inevitably get something out of it. There's a friends episode about this, right? Like, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you get some kind of gratification out of it. Maybe you get, you meet somebody new or, you know, even when you like, do something for free, like, you get something out of it. So is there such a thing as altruism? And this paper was basically saying, like, who the fuck cares? Because the <laughs> because <laughs> the point really is, like, if we're going to say that there's no such thing as a selfless act, then we just need to add a word to the dictionary. Because now what you're saying is that the word selfless still means selfish. And so now we still need a yeah. new word that means selfless and at that point like why don't we just draw a distinction between selfish and selfless Mm -hmm. that doesn't that doesn't require uh you not to be getting anything out of something in order for it to be a selfless act and this is kind of making me think of another like sexual analogy i was using the pain and pleasure line before but you know in in sex very often the best thing you can do is be selfish right Mm -hmm. and and I I think so much and like a lot of the people that I work with are and myself included are like struggling with um the ways that we put other people first, it's like this people-pleasing thing. And it's like, um, and really what it does is it causes us to lose our sense of self, which is maybe the ultimate goal anyway, is like, I don't want to have to pay attention to myself. So I'm putting more attention onto you. That's non-consensual service. It's really icky. It's codependent, blah, blah, blah. So what I've been learning is that it's that same um, positive side of selfishness that you encounter in sexual scenarios where it's like in a friendship for example I need to be able to say this is what I need and this is what a friendship means to me and I can't be available to you if you're not also available to me in x y and z ways and and what can happen is that that part is seen as selfish And so it becomes this thing that we think we shouldn't do because being selfish is bad, quote unquote, according to society. Um, When I think that the word selfish has a really bad rap. I think we actually need to like redefine that word because I think that selfish and selfless, if we were to make a Venn diagram, there's a huge overlapping section of that Venn diagram that we aren't really talking about.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I hated the word selfish for a very long time. So actually it's funny because I'm currently writing a book proposal and every single theme of each chapter in relation to the book that I'm currently dreaming up of writing is a specific word I've been called in my life. Um, And so like chapter, I think it's chapter five, I talk about the word selfish. Um, And all of the work that I've had to do around unlearning that word as a negative word, um, specifically because that was a word that my mom was, I I call, you know, we all have trigger words, right? Like some folks in our lives will say, Like the word bitch is a trigger word. Um, The N word for some people is a trigger word. Um, Being called fat is a trigger word. Well, my word was Mm. selfish. Um, Growing up as a kid, my mom would um, constantly, and and I I think we've worked so I can say this and I don't think she'll ever listen. My mom hates listening to people talk, so she'll probably never hear this. Um, But growing up, and I don't want to depict this as me picking on my mother either, because again, my mother did the best that she could, what she knew. um, And so I, I, and I love her for that. But ultimately, us growing up, one of the things my mom would constantly call me, especially when I started to get into my teenage years, was selfish. My mom would say, you only think about yourself. You don't care about no one else in this family, but you, um, you know, your brother, you know, you, you, all the things I've had to sacrifice for you, blah, 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 blah. And as I got older and as I started to unpack where that negativeness came from with that word was this idea that in a lot of, and again, I'll speak from my own experience, so I don't wanna make this a general statement. In a lot of poor families, specifically poor Black families, you're expected to be selfless all the time, right? You're expected to give so much of yourself without the expectation to get anything back. You're expected like, you know, your money is my money and my money is my money and her money is my money too and so that, that's a lot of the, <laughs> that's a lot of the, the the onus and the mindset of a lot of minoritized families where everyone is literally just trying to survive the idea of you saying no this is for me this is my opportunity for me to thrive or this is my opportunity for me to shine has nothing to do with you that makes you selfish mm-hmm. right um and so it took me a few years, especially in therapy, to really understand why that word, why I struggled with that word for so long and, and what my mother was really trying to say when she used that oh, word. I think from, it was just, it, it, yeah, it, it, there's so many things. And so that's the reason why, though. It's, you know, this whole conversation around words meaning things, right? What is the real meaning or what is the real Foundation of the words that we use when we talk to people or when we talk about people. And I think for my mother, that word selfish was this idea of saying, you're centering yourself in a way that I was not able to prior to me having you. And now I'm angry about it. Right? Right. And so now me and my mom have real conversations about that. My mom, I'm sorry if I ever made you feel like you had to give up your life for me and your brother. And I'm like, no, you never did because I have the life that I want to have now. I was selfish enough to say, no, I'm going to get my degrees and I'm going to have my partner and we're going to have our, like, I was able to say that you, you, that has nothing to do with you. Right now I can look at, you yes. know what I, mean? I don't know. No, it, it make makes sense, total but.
0: sense. And a light bulb just went off in my brain because I talk a lot about how like in my classes and stuff like how insecurity is selfish um and Mm -hmm. that has been a little bit triggering for a couple people have been like I don't know the word selfish like uh and I think what I mean when I say that is like in a very literal sense your insecurity centers you right and I mean that even like Mm -hmm. internally When I'm feeling insecure, all I'm thinking about is myself. I've stopped listening to you. I don't know what we're talking about anymore. I'm only worried about, I'm totally preoccupied with recovering and proving to you that I'm not a total idiot. And so as you were talking, I was thinking about all of that. and And then the light bulb was, do you think that authenticity is selfish?
1: Mm. Well, I would say yes and no. I would say, and and I know people, I hate when people say yes (laughs) and no. I, I have to say yes and no. I would say authenticity is selfish in a lot of ways, because what you're doing in a lot of ways is taking up space. Well, first I would say, I guess it has to do with, damn, that's a good question. I think it has to do with The timing, um, I think it has to do with, you know, they, you know, they say there's a case, there's time and space for everything, right? Um, I think in relation to authenticity, I know for me, when I'm feeling my most authentic self, it's because I'm taking back space that normally wouldn't be given to me anyway, right? Um, So that's when I'm being selfish. I'm like, no, y'all gonna give me my 40 acres and a mule, Um, but when you're being authentic, like, I guess the question is: Is are you being Oprah authentic, or are you being Tyrant <laughs> authentic? And I think we, you know what I mean. Like, are you are you genuinely worried about helping someone when you're being authentic and wanting to say like, No, come on in here and be yourself. I want to make sure you feel seen. Or are you genuinely saying, well, I had this experience and it's all about me and I want the world to know what I've been through? Like I don't, I don't personally feel like I operate from that place. Like I'll tell people, like, yeah, my life has been shit, but I wanna make sure that other people who know that their life has been shit, that their life doesn't always have to be shit. And that this is the way we gonna make sure that you know that. Like, I don't, it's not about me per se. It's about me helping other people to basically get free, right? Like how do we get free from these systems that have kept us, to, to make us feel that way. Whereas with like, I feel like Tyra Banks is more like, I've been through this and you don't know. My-. So I, I, I guess, I say, in I guess I say so many terms, so many words is authenticity selfish. Yes. But you have to ask the question, who are you being authentic for? I think ding, that's the ding, real question.
0: Ding, 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 ding. Woo. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was the strike. That was it. Who are you being authentic okay. for?
1: Right. Is it for you or is it for the liberation of other people? And I will tell you this for me. There are moments where I do, like, for instance, right now, and I, I, this is me being authentic, something that has been driving me nuts is the fact that I don't have a blue check on Instagram. <laughs> Neither do I. It, it bugs the shit out of me, and I don't know why, but it does, that I can't get verified on Instagram. That's just me being human, right? I want people to know that I am the Dr. John Paul who's out here doing the work, Right. That's where I say that authentic, like I'm being authentic. When I say I'm being authentic in this moment, I'm being authentically selfish in vain and saying, yes, that blue check would make me feel a hell of a lot better on Instagram. However, I also know that that blue check on Instagram would allow me to do more work because I would be verified, mm. et cetera, et cetera, right? So there's that. But the other part of that is the reason why I created Dr. John Paul, the reason why I write the way I write, the reason why I'm telling the stories that I tell, is so that way when people feel like they're alone or they're in a dark place, they can go back to my work and say, I'm not in this by myself, you know? So I I think both of them can be true. I think both of them, I don't think any of them are bad. I just think that we need to be more re- real with ourselves and saying like, nah, sis, like, are you genuinely doing this because you genuinely want to do it for you? Or are you doing this for the good of the people? And I think that's I saw something recently and I said, that is the whole theme of this mm-hmm. movie. I'm not sure what movie it was, but I felt like I watched something recently where I had that, where the question of authenticity was at play in the story. That might be the next pilot mm-hmm. I write, but go on.
0: You know, I mm-hmm. I love that idea around being authentic, like for the greater good or being authentic for yourself. And I think that both are incredibly important. So what, what I think that we're doing here is kind of, um, redefining the word selfish. And I think that there's different kinds of selfishness and maybe there needs to be a new word for selfishness. That's like merely for self, you know, for, for personal gain, because I see Mm -hmm. that. And when you were talking about um, only seeing depictions of men experiencing joy when they were like standing on the backs of other people. I see that in, mm-hmm. in white feminism. Like the way that that turns uh-huh. up in, in white women and I consider myself to be one and something that I constantly have to look at is, is that the only way that, that we are going to get anywhere is so long as there are still people beneath us. And mm-hmm. that is like, that is one of the most disgusting drives that I witness, And I see it all over the place. I see it in intimacy coordination in the field. Mm-hmm. I see it yeah. all over Hollywood. I saw it when I was a casting mm-hmm. assistant. And it's this idea that like, that you it's still... It's still falling for the idea that there has to be a hierarchy, and that there is a scarcity mm-hmm. of stuff, and so you need to hoard it because if you were to share it or bring anyone with you, there would be less for you. Um, right. So this this idea around selfishness and authenticity, what I what I see that goes hand in hand, and I've never thought about this before, is that largely the people who are putting other people down in order to feel above are, they also lack that, that core. They lack Mm -hmm. that authentic core. Yes.
1: Uh-huh. Well, I mean, think about think about whiteness at its core. I mean, so this is this is what I've kind of made my whole work around. So, first of all, I was gonna say, um, if your editor could put a bell sound in when you said white feminism, because I was like ding, 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 ding. I've been trying to say that shit for three years and ain't nobody yeah. listened to me. So maybe they'll listen to me and when Mia me say it. So ding, 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 editor, please put a bell in there. <laughs> But I will say this, you know, when, when you're talking about this idea of the hierarchy and of all of that nature, right? I think that's the thing that keeps white supremacy and whiteness as a whole alive, right? And I tell people all the time, my biggest thing in my work, and this is what I always start my conversations off with when I'm doing race work, and you were there when, when obviously we had this training, I said, there's a difference between whiteness and loving white mm-hmm. people and a lot of times we love whites over white people if that makes sense right a lot of white people love whiteness so what is whiteness we know what whiteness is whiteness is colonialism Whiteness is patriarchy whiteness is i'm going Power, right? Basically, at the end of the day, that's really what whiteness is, is how do I uphold and maintain power, even in all of my quote unquote intersections of who I am. And and I'll say this, there are still some Black, and I was just actually talking to somebody. Today, I've been talking about it all day. I was on an interview when we were talking about that how like even in some spaces I think a great example of that was RuPaul when they asked him about um black people on his show at the Golden Globes last year what's the Emmys or are the Emmys in the Golden Globes I don't know what the hell but it was either one of those he was getting an award for something mm-hmm. I think it was the Emmys and someone asked him what is he doing to champion black people on his show and he was like I am black people of my show that in my mind girl oh. yes and I say girl not to you, girl, I'm saying girl, yes, yeah, like that's the T. Um, but yes, girl, he mama is a mess. And I, <laughs> I I hate to tangent, but that's the thing that I also wish. I hate that we're here. Um, I, I can't not be doing this work and not include media in some way, shape, or form. So when we talk about RuPaul and we talk about blackness and whiteness and all of that, there are a lot of people who who look at whiteness as I wanna uphold power in whatever way I can. And I'm going to do that in whatever way I can. And that oftentimes means slamming the door in front of other black and brown people or other trans people or other non-binary people. I say all of that to say that I think what folks need to step back in, even in their authenticity and say, am I doing this to get ahead, to be on top of somebody? Or am I doing this to make sure that somebody else can thrive? Mm -hmm. And I know for me and mine, when I open my computer each day, yeah, I want the accolades. I would love an extra check. I would love a couple of extra zeros at the end of the checks that I get. But I definitely think about it like what has, and I'll say this transparently, what has not taken me out of the writing game? Because these last couple of months, I've been like, I don't think I'm going to make it in (laughs) this think this is for me um but I I think when I think about each day when I get back to my you know when I open up final draft and I start working on pilots or start editing or taking notes I'm thinking about that day that I get to say when someone comes into my office and says Dr. John we would love to tap so-and-so to be the showrunner of the show and I go actually I know this trans black woman who I think is a great writer call her I want her as my showrunner for this show, right? That's the stuff I'm thinking about. It's it, while it may seem like I'm thinking about me in this moment, my long goal, my long-term goal is like, even now, like Vic may hear this. So I'm I'm going to frame this in this. And so Vic doesn't be like, ew, John, I think Vic knows my heart. Vic is my assistant and- there were other people I had put out a call a couple months back wanting and needing an assistant. I was saying, I don't have a lot of work. I just, I need somebody who can help me kind of just stay. I wanna pay somebody who can basically say, girl, get your shit together. I need, that's what my assistant is for. Um, and I ignored them when Vic jumped in my inbox because I knew Vic was a trans person of color. And I was like, this is why I'm doing this. I want to make sure that whatever money I'm getting, I can kick back to them because I know that it's not about even Vic needing it. It's about this is what I'm doing this for. It's to make sure that Vic can have the life that they want to have, right? So it's not charity work for me. It's genuinely about how do I open the door to make sure that other people get the knowledge and the access and the opportunities that normally wouldn't come their way because someone else is sitting in that spot. If that makes and sense. And
0: because as you said the world hates them.
1: Yeah. Yep. Bingo.
0: What you are describing mm-hmm. is the process of using that pendulum and like gauging, mm-hmm. you know, all of these incoming like applications and people who are interested, gauging all of that through the through the lens of your personal moral compass. And that's how you make your decisions mm-hmm. it makes decision making easier because you know who you are mm-hmm. and making those choices has to align with why you do what you do
1: mm-hmm. and I know that and I mean I I know that opportunities may not always come my way but you know even just recently I'm working on a project with shout out to my girl Tori um but we're working on a project for next month um and you know it's centering trans black women and I had pinged another friend of mine to help and I told her how much she would be getting paid girl yes my job my job is to be thinking about y'all like my job is to be thinking about who can I put on who can I pass an opportunity to who can I use my platform to elevate who can I use my platform? Who, who in my platform can I to love on more? Because I know the world's not loving on trans Black women like that. I know that trans people as a whole are not getting the love that they deserve. So if I can make someone else through my own authentic ways of working and moving in this world, if I can make anyone feel seen or feel valued or feel heard, that to me is my authenticity. Like that's that's what I'm here to do. And, you know, I've, I thought about this a lot in college. I don't think about it so much now because I'm like, (laughs) I don't know if you know who Maxine Waters Mm -hmm. is, but she said that somebody tried to shoot at her a couple of years ago. And she was like, if you shoot at me again, you better not miss. I used to be that girl that was worried about getting, (laughs) getting killed for doing the work that I do. But now I'm like, if you come for me, girl, you better make sure you don't miss because I'm coming back at you. Um, But I, I definitely believe that like I, I, I'm my work. I feel like I've in in my own right have been called to help liberate other people who may not have been seen or heard in their worlds and their lives. And I'm hoping that even just with the glimpse of me, you know, I, I always say Marsha P did it for me. Audrey lord did it for me. Baird Rustin did it for me. Um, you know, uh oh, oh, I'm sure James Baldwin did it for me. Like, I have the duty to do it for other people, you know.
0: So. Yep. yep. The mission is clear. Mm-hmm. Amen. So are these checks, honey, because
1: they clear too. How you doing? <laughs> always tell me you may not like what I got to say but that check still go clear
0: (laughs) yes
1: Um, okay well Dr.
0: John so I we have to wrap up somehow um I always ask uh what if you can give three of the most influential experiences or pieces of media or conversations or people in your life that have led you to the way that you think today?
1: Mm. Yes. Okay. So a mixture of things, I would say there are some of them are living, some of them are not. Um, I would say the thought and the praxis of Bayard Rustin Um, I think was really big. I actually dedicated my dissertation to him before I found James Baldwin's work. So I would say it would be a toss up. I'm saying my number one is James Baldwin slash Babe Rustin, their praxis on how they saw the world. Um, is my number one. Please visit them for that. They have writings, they have work. For folks who don't know who Bayard Rustin and Bayard Rustin actually helped lead um, MLK with the entire civil rights movement. So that's who Bayard Rustin. Uh, My number two would be Audre Lorde. Audre Lorde in the sense of the fact that she helped me navigate my mental health in a way um, that I don't think I would have been able to actually fully vocalize like she helped me find the words to tell my therapist what oh, I wow. needed in relation to being a black queer person a lot of her writing specifically when she got uh cancer the ways that she was talking about health and her wellness as a as a queer person a queer black woman really helped me formalize what type of care and what kind of relationship I needed to have with my therapist mm-hmm. so I wrote an article for um Afropunk about that about how Audrey Lorde helped me kind of uh she was the blueprint for my for my mental health journey um the last person is a living person if you do not follow them you should Travell Anderson is another non-binary uh, media figure not only are they mm-hmm. my friend they are also um a colleague, and I'm shouting them out because when I first met Travel, we had been, we, me and Travel had met in the space of like work. We were at an event together. They were like, oh, here's my phone number. Let's stay in touch, blah, 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 blah. And we became friends over time. And then one day they pulled me to the side. I say pulled me to the side in terms of they sent me a text <laughs> and they said, girl, when are you going to acknowledge that you're a bad bitch? And I had never, I had never had anybody like come to me that way of like, you're not giving yourself the credit you deserve. um. So I just want to know when are you going to allow yourself to be seen as a bad bitch? And so I say Travell Anderson in the sense that they have helped me come to terms with the fact that Dr. John Paul is a bad bitch and that she's out here doing things that a lot of people wish they could. Um. So I say Travell Anderson is my number three of being that girl that you should know slash should be following.
0: Cool. All right, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, and, and some of these articles, and I'm going to read some of these articles. Um, all right, Dr. Johns, yeah. this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so very much. I had so much fun. Thank you. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at ConsentWizard. The show is produced and edited by Stella Hartman. Beginning and ending music is by me. There's Sometimes Other Music by my friend Tyler Field. The podcast logo is by Candace Ploy Goodman. For contact information for these exceptionally talented people, or to ask a question about boundaries and consent that I'll answer on the show, you can email podcast at sharetheloadinc.com.